want to share with you all a little history of the, the Jewish people. God blessed the nation of Israel to live in the promised land for many centuries. But during that time, the nation began to live in rampant idolatry and unconfessed sin. So God allowed the nation of Israel to be taken into captivity. First, the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into captivity by the Assyrians. Later, the southern kingdom was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. But God, in his great mercy and grace, allowed a remnant of Jews to return to the land after a number of years. And it's safe to say that the Jews had learned their lesson. Now, in many ways, they became much more focused on God's word and on his law and obedience to him. Some of the Jews became truly passionate for these things. Then years later, in the first century A.D., a group emerged that took that passion to a really radical place. They were known as the Zealots. When we talk about being zealous for something, zeal, zeal is an intense passion or fervor for something or someone. And the Zealots, the Zealots were a lot like another group we've heard of, the Pharisees. They were a lot like the Pharisees in that they, they passionately followed God's law, they interpreted it literally. But the difference, the difference is that the zealots were willing to kill for what they believed. Time of Jesus Christ and later during the time of the New Testament church, the zealots, this group, they were, they were angry. They were angry that Israel was living under the rule of the Roman Empire because they believed Israel should only be under the rule of God. And they were so angry that they carried out assassinations. And they created unrest. They did whatever they could to disrupt Roman rule. They were so fanatic in their beliefs that even if they were captured and tortured, they weren't willing to give up their cause. And they didn't just kill Romans. They would kill their fellow Jews if they suspected that those Jews were sympathetic to the Roman Empire. So let me give you a, one, one example of what this group was really like. In the year 66 AD, Israel officially rebelled against the Roman Empire. So the Roman army came and they besieged the city of Jerusalem. Well, the Jewish zealots who were inside the city, they, they realized there was only one right response in their minds to this, and it was to fight the godless army outside the city walls. But they needed to be sure that the rest of their fellow Jews were on board with that plan. Now, as you may be aware, a siege can last a long time. So in the city of Jerusalem, there was a stockpile of dried foods that would have lasted the people for quite a while. Well, a group of zealots came along and they burned the whole stockpile. They wanted to force the hand of their fellow Jews to actively participate. If the zealots suspected that any of the Jews were thinking about surrendering to the Romans, the zealots were quick to kill their fellow Jews. So it probably doesn't surprise any of us that it didn't take long before the Romans, they overran the city, defeated Israel, and not long afterwards, the zealots, they, they faded from history. But I share this with you because, you know, the zealots, they, they took their zeal, their passion for God's word and his law, and they turned it into something ungodly. And it's clear, though, that they didn't understand God's word at all. Now, of course, they're an extreme example. But during the time of the New Testament church, the majority of the Jews were known to be zealous for God's law. That is, they were, they were passionate about God's commands and following them and seeing that other people did the same thing. Now, many of the Jews weren't murderous, though, like the zealots, but like the zealots, 
many Jews likewise did not fully understand God's word. So despite their passion, and despite all the things that God had given the Jewish people, including the law and the prophets and the promises and the covenants and the Messiah, despite all these things, many of the Jews in the Apostle Paul's day, they were missing out on the salvation that God was offering them. See, the problem wasn't their passion for many of these Jews. The problem was that they pursued God the wrong way, just like the zealots pursued God the wrong way. Now, I pray that that wouldn't be true of any of us, and I pray that we as Christians would be passionate in our faith, but that we would understand what real godly zeal looks like for God's people. So we're going to look at that as we turn together to Romans chapter 9 this morning. If you have your Bible, I'd invite you to turn there with me, Romans chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 30. If you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 918 in those Bibles. Page 918, Romans chapter 9, verse 30. If you were here with us last week, we saw in Romans chapter 9, as, as Paul laid out God's great grace and mercy towards the nation of Israel. And this morning, we're going to see how we need to respond to God's grace and mercy. Romans chapter 9. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel, who pursued the law as the way of righteousness, have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So what's Paul saying here? You know, the, the Gentile world, that would be all non-Jews, the Gentile world, they weren't seen as pursuers of righteousness. No, far from it. They were by and large a bunch of idol worshippers chasing their pleasures far from God. Paul says, how is it that, that many of them, they received the salvation and righteousness of God, but, but the Jews who passionately tried to obey God's law, well, by and large, they failed to attain that goal. How is that? Paul says it's because the Jews pursued this the wrong way. They were trying to work and earn their way to God. And the truth is, people long before and after Paul's day have done this. They tried to earn their way to God. Let me give you an example. In the 18th century, there was a young man named George. George started reading uh, the Bible, other Christian books, uh, for answers to life's questions, and he decided one day that he wanted to be close to God. So he set his mind on doing just that, getting close to God. Now because of that, he was careful to uh, avoid joining in with his peers and the sinful things they were doing. Instead, he spent a lot of time with, with Christians. He would pray with them. But after a little while, George decided that, that this wasn't enough. No, no, no. If he wanted to fully draw near to God, he had to deny himself of joy and pleasure in life. So he, he decided that whenever he ate food, he would only eat bland food. He stopped taking care of his appearance because he was afraid he might become vain and therefore sin. He, he decided that he would try his hardest not to laugh 
so that his joy would only be found in worship. He started to isolate himself from all his friends. He was afraid that the pleasure of friendship would keep him from drawing near to God. George was piling all these burdens on himself. And then one day, George was reading the Bible, and he read in Luke chapter 23 the account of Jesus' crucifixion, and how on that day, one of the thieves hanging on a cross next to Jesus believed in Jesus, and in that moment received eternal life. That's when George realized that faith in Jesus is all that's needed for salvation. That was the moment that changed George's life. The moment that he stopped trying to earn salvation and the moment that he put his faith in the Lord. See, it's through faith that we receive salvation, not works. And Paul's point is that there were, there were many Gentiles who heard the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the free gift of salvation and forgiveness, and they turned to the Lord in faith. But as Paul showed last week, despite all God's grace and mercy towards Israel, many of the Jews rejected Jesus. They would rather trust in their works of obedience than trust in Jesus Christ. But Paul says those who put their faith in him, those who put their faith in Jesus, will never be put to shame. They'll never be disappointed by the salvation Jesus brings. They're the ones who build their life on him, the solid rock. Many of the Jews instead, they stumbled at the words of Jesus Christ and they lived in unbelief. And this is why they stumbled. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Paul says this. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. You see, the problem for the Jews wasn't their, their zeal, their passion for God, because they had that. They had that passion. The problem was that they had zeal without knowledge. True, they, they knew facts about God's word, but they didn't discern its meaning. So, so they failed to understand the depth of their sin and their deep need for saving. So their passion pointed them the wrong way. Well, they were sprinting on a road of good works that leads to hell rather than walking on the path of faith that leads to eternal life. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 19, verse 2 says. Proverbs 19, 2 says, Desire, that word can also be translated as zeal, desire without knowledge is not good. It says, How much more will hasty feet miss the way? Think of it like this. A couple years ago, the state of Illinois, there was a marathon going on. And the two of the runners, they were just way out in front of everyone. Nobody could catch these guys. They were fast. And as these two front runners were going, they were uh, following a, a volunteer bicyclist who was riding along, riding the path so that runners knew where to go. Well, at one point, the race came to an intersection, and the volunteer, he went the wrong way, which meant that all of a sudden, these two front runners, they started sprinting in the wrong direction. By the time they realized their mistake, it was too late. The runner who was in third place, he went the correct way and he won the race. You see, even though these two runners, they, they had seen a map of the course beforehand. They had a knowledge of it. 
But their lack of discernment and their hastiness resulted in running the wrong way, and they lost out on the prize. The Jews were were running as fast and as passionately as they could to get to God, but they were going in the wrong direction. Works of law would never get them there. Zeal without knowledge, passion not properly focused, leads to failure. The Jews were sincere, but they were wrong. As one pastor put it, sincerity is not enough because we can be sincerely mistaken. And many of the Jews were. They thought that works could get them to heaven. But Paul's Paul's whole point in these first few verses is that when it comes to salvation, works don't work. Only faith does. Faith is greater than works. See, the Jews, they were passionate, they were zealous, but they didn't understand the importance of faith in Jesus Christ. Let me show you why faith is so much greater. Let's see what Paul writes next, verse 5. He says, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And these, these truths right here have set more souls free from the path heading to hell than any good works ever have because good works have never saved anyone. The problem is that we can't fulfill the law. So we can't get righteousness that way. Nor is the pursuit of it something that, like, like out of reach, like ascending to heaven or going to the depths of the dead. No, no. Jesus Christ came to this earth. And through his death and resurrection, he's brought about a righteousness that's given to everyone who comes to him in faith. Faith is greater than works because only faith can make us righteous in God's sight. Only faith in Jesus can save us. And that's the truth that that young man, George, came to realize, who I mentioned earlier. George, his full name uh, was George Whitfield. George Whitfield went on to become one of the most powerful preachers in England and the American colonies in the 18th century. But it started once George realized the truth that through faith in Jesus, we're saved and we're born again. More than that, he realized the truth that this offer of salvation, it's, it's being made to everyone. Men, women, children, regardless of status, race, background. And so he started sharing that message with everyone. In his life, George Whitfield, he traveled thousands of miles, preached 18,000 sermons, gave over 12,000 speeches to groups large and small. He preached to crowds of up to 30,000 people. In fact, it's said that by the end of his life, George Whitfield had preached to 80% of the population in the American colonies. See, once George 
knew and understood the truth of salvation, that didn't just change his life, but because he had zeal with knowledge, he was able to lead many people to Jesus Christ. And we need to understand these truths, church, we do. We need to be passionate, but we need to have zeal with knowledge. And one reason that I'm stressing this is because so many well-meaning and professing Christians are missing some of these truths about salvation. In fact, a couple years ago, Pew Research did a study that found that 44%, keep that number in your minds, 44% of professing evangelical Christians, that's how we would define ourselves, church, 44% of professing evangelical Christians said that they believe that other religions can lead to salvation. But what does the word of God say? It says that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've accepted these truths, if you've called on Jesus to be your only Lord and Savior, then your faith in him has brought you that righteousness and salvation that we all need. This is the gospel truth. There's, there's no other name under heaven, the Bible says, by which we must be saved. It is only through Jesus Christ. Believers, these are the truths that we need to share with others. Let's not be like so many of the Jews. Apparently, let's not be like so many professing evangelical Christians who are zealous without knowledge. God's word is clear that faith in Jesus Christ alone is what saves us. His word is clear that salvation is waiting for everyone. Now, if these things are true, if faith is what saves, then the question is, what does that mean for those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ? We've received that salvation. What, what then for us? Look at verse 14. Paul says, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Only faith in Jesus Christ can save the lost soul from heading to hell. Only faith in Jesus can save the sinner from the clutches of Satan and from the depths of their own wickedness. But how can someone be saved if they never hear the truth? Who are going to hear the truth if no one tells them? There are countless people in this life headed the wrong way, uh, trying to achieve salvation by works or worshiping false gods in the hope that maybe they'll achieve some bliss after this life. All those things are meaningless. Only Jesus Christ can rescue them. The question is, who's going to tell them? I mentioned that story earlier about the marathon, three runners, two missed out on the prize. You know, it's interesting. The third place runner who ended up winning, he was interviewed after the race. And I said something that I thought was quite interesting. He said this. You know, it's pretty obvious where to go out there. So I don't know what went on. I was about 20 seconds back, so I kind of saw it happening. He saw the runners go the wrong way. But I'm not going to shout, he said. It's not my job. Now let's not get too caught up in what was just a, a marathon race. Instead, let's realize that Many Christians are doing something similar. 
Many of us were watching as our lost family and friends and acquaintances run in the wrong direction, away from God, headed towards an eternity in hell. And many believers stand there thinking to themselves, not my job. Somebody else will tell them. Or they'll say, yeah, well, Andrew says that someone needs to preach to them. That's your responsibility. It's true. But also the truth is that sharing the gospel is every believer's responsibility. Jesus commanded that all his followers are supposed to do that. In fact, the word there for, for preach, for preaching, can also mean to herald. Someone who is heralding something, they're proclaiming something. Well, every Christian should be proclaiming the gospel to others. We don't have to have a seminary degree or a church title to do that. We just need zeal with knowledge. If you want to reach people, believer, share the gospel message that you've accepted. We need to be willing to share with people that there is a problem. The problem is sin. We've all sinned. We've all broken God's commands. Then we need to tell them why it's a problem. Why is sin a problem? Because our sin separates us from God. That ultimate separation takes place after this life in a place called hell. That problem gets worse, by the way, because the Bible says what? Works can't make up for our sin, right? Can't save ourselves by our works. Then we need to tell them that there's good news. The good news is Jesus died for us. Oh, then we need to tell them why that's good news, right? Jesus died to take the punishment for our sins. So we could be pardoned from hell. We could be forgiven. Then he rose from the dead, and now we can have new and eternal life through faith in him. And then we can tell people that if they confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in their heart God raised him from the dead, they can be saved. I know that a lot of you, you have that knowledge. We just need to have zeal with that knowledge. We have passion about these things. See, a lot of Christians buy into the lie that Sharing the gospel, that's just for the evangelist, the preacher, the deacon, the Sunday school teacher. Church, I want to share something with you that I've shared with some of you on different occasions. There are some people, I would admit, that I, I might be able to reach that you can't. And maybe they'll open up or listen to me because I'm a pastor. At the same time, there are a lot of people who I can't reach because they're not my sphere of influence, or they don't want to open up to me because I'm a pastor but they'll listen to their Christian friends, Christian co-workers, Christian family, who they know care about them. They'll listen to you. You can reach them. And I love how a lot of people in this church are doing that. I love when people call me or they text me or they tell me when they see me on Sunday how they were sharing the gospel with somebody that they ran across or that family member who's been rejecting Jesus Christ. I love that because they understand the truth and they're eager. They have passion with a purpose. And those of us who have been saved, we need to realize that our faith must be shared with others. And when we understand and believe that truth, that's when the passion to share is going to come into our lives. Now, as we share the truth, we're going to find this at times. Look what Paul starts talking about in verse 16. He says, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. 
And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. See, the hard thing, believers, is that not everyone will accept the good news, put their faith in Jesus Christ. Some will reject him. Now, does this mean that we give up, throw up our hands, throw in the towel? No, of course not. We know that. Paul said that his heart's desire and prayer was that his fellow Jews, the nation of Israel, was that they would be saved. He hadn't given up on them, even though a lot of them hated Paul and persecuted Paul. Now, he didn't give up on them. We shouldn't give up on the unbelievers in our lives either. A voice of truth, Paul says, has gone out to the ends of the earth. Paul mentioned earlier in his letter to the Romans that God's creation speaks volumes about who he is in order that he would draw people to himself. More than that, God has given every person an innate understanding of the basic right and wrongs, the basics of his laws written on their heart. These are given so that people would seek their creator. Well, as they do, they need to hear the message about how they can be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's where we come in. That's where we share with them. But understand that just like the unbelieving Jews in Paul's day, there will be unbelievers in our day. Now, because of the unbelief of the Jews, God allowed the gospel to go out powerfully among the Gentiles. But God's mercy to the Jews, don't lose sight of this, his mercy to them remained. He continued to hold out his hands of mercy to them if only they would come to him for forgiveness. And church, those unsaved people in your life, even the ones who have rejected Jesus on more than one occasion, it's not too late for them. So long as they have life, the creator holds out his hands, offering them eternal life. And we need to tell them how to receive it. And it's only through faith in Jesus Christ. Church, last week, we talked about having a burden for the gospel. I challenged us as a church to pray that God would give us that burden in each of our lives. The ones who have that burden are the ones who recognize the importance of faith in Christ and the ones who are going to be passionate to share the gospel with others. See, what I want us to understand this morning is that real godly zeal, real godly passion for the gospel comes with knowledge comes with an understanding that only through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus can we be forgiven of sin, saved from hell, and receive eternal life. If we know these truths, if we've accepted these truths in our life, the question is, are we sharing these truths with others? Remember this. Our community doesn't need a church in Oxford that can just put on good programs and events and offer a helping hand and do nice things. That's not what they need. They need a church filled with Christians passionate about proclaiming the good news of salvation. That's what they need. So let's be that church. And here's the truth, the, the truth I'm encouraging us to remember this morning, church. It's this. That those with real godly zeal cannot keep the gospel to themselves. That's the type of people we need to pray would be. Because those with real godly zeal can't keep the gospel to themselves. They wake up, they're excited to share. Like Paul, they think about those unsaved individuals in their lives, and they pray for them. Pray for opportunities to share with them. Pray that those individuals give their lives to Jesus Christ. And I pray, church, that we would have that zeal. We would have that passion. That we would be faithful to pray for the lost, to share the good news. Church, 
The gospel is the greatest truth in the world. So let's go share it with somebody this week. Let's do that together. Believers, as we get ready to go to our final invitation song, I'm going to encourage you to go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to lay on your heart some of the unsaved people in your life. You come across on a daily, weekly basis. Pray for those individuals. Pray for opportunities to share the good news of the gospel with them. And if you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, I don't know what you are putting your trust in in this life. I don't know where your hope is. I don't know what you're trusting in for when this life is over. But I can tell you if it's not Jesus Christ, then your hope is in the wrong place. Because only Jesus Christ can save you from sin and hell. And understand that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you are going through right now, Jesus wants to save you. He's been waiting your whole life to do just that, to forgive you, to be your Savior, and to adopt you into his family. And we want you to know that you can do that before you leave this morning. Would you pray with me? Friend, if that's true for you, if Jesus isn't your Savior, please understand, you can come during this final song, and you can talk to me, ask whatever questions you might have, or we can pray together. But if you're ready right now to give your life to Jesus Christ, I don't want you to wait another moment. So understand that you can go to Jesus in prayer right now, wherever you're sitting. And you can admit to Jesus that you know that you're a sinner. But that you believe he died on the cross for you. That he didn't stay in the grave, but that he rose from the dead. Friend, ask him to forgive you of your sins. Invite him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And friend, if you pray these things in faith, I promise you on the authority of God's word, Jesus Christ will save your soul. He'll give you eternal life. And he'll be with you forever. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who have given our lives to Jesus and stepped into this sweet salvation, I pray that you would stir up our hearts so that we couldn't keep it to ourselves. That we would be a church so passionate about the gospel, that we couldn't help but share it with everybody we come across. Father, bring to our hearts and our minds right now the unbelievers in our lives so that we could pray for them, so that we could look for opportunities to share the good news with them. Father, help us to be a church that every time someone gives their life to Jesus Christ, we rejoice together that we realize how incredible it is when someone who was once lost is found, when someone who was once running the wrong direction has finally been wrapped up in your arms. Help us to rejoice over these things. Help us to be the church that Oxford community needs us to be by being passionate for you. Father, we do love you. But you prove every single day how much more you love us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.